0: Hey guys, I'm Annie Allen, a Certified Divorce Coach, RCSD Divorce Realtor, and your host for the Starting Over Stronger Divorce Survival and Recovery Podcast, the show that's all about bringing you the practical, professional help you need as you divorce and hope for creating a life you'll love after. I don't skim the surface around here. If you want to dive deep into the wholehearted wisdom of how to have a better divorce experience than everyone else you know by changing what you do, this is the podcast for you. After a lifetime in dysfunctional relationships and over a decade in recovery, I'm ready to share everything I've learned and everything I'm still learning, along with the collective wisdom of amazing divorce professionals and divorce survivors because I believe the keys to a better divorce and healthier relationships to come should never be a secret. The enlightening and unconventional wisdom you'll find here is actionable and sometimes even fun, like friends chatting over coffee. So come listen in for a fresh, honest look at doing divorce differently. Starting Over Stronger is here for you, for the help and hope you need before, during, and after your divorce. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. Welcome back. Thank you for being here again today. We have another powerful topic to talk about this month in the Power of series. And we're going to be talking today about the power of an estate plan during divorce with attorney Carolyn Bundy. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you. It's
1: good to be here. Yeah,
0: good to have you. This is kind of a new topic for me. Uh, not something that I did in my own divorce. I don't know that I needed to, but if I did, I, I didn't. <laughs> and I have heard uh, you talk about this a little bit with in other circles. And I and I really just wanted to bring this information to people who are maybe in need of it at this point, you know, or, or maybe in the future will be. And so, first of all, though, tell us a little
1: bit about yourself. Yeah. So I am a family law attorney that also works on estate planning. So I born and raised in D- Indiana and now practice in Kansas and Missouri and practice a little bit more in Kansas, kind of learned to love it. And so as a Mizzou grad, that's just a little bit on that. I get that all the time <laughs> out of state stuff. So yeah. And I've been practicing for a little over a year now okay. and big passion is family law and getting the states and things ready for everybody. Very good. Very good.
0: Well, uh, for those of you who can't see her, uh, Carolyn, that's most of you, <laughs> this is a podcast. Carolyn uh, is a little spitfire redhead, and don't let her youth fool you. She knows what she's doing in divorce court. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, that I have learned. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about estate planning as it relates to divorce. But let's just start with, because frankly, what? Like a lot of people, I don't know what the statistics are, don't have an estate plan. Maybe they don't know what it is. Maybe it sounds really intimidating and like something they don't need. So bring it down to earth for us. What is exactly this estate plan thing?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So estate planning is is not as daunting as it sounds. When you hear it or when you see it in the news, you're seeing millionaires talk about it and you're seeing tons of things going on, but it's really a lot of the times for the average person, it comes down to three main documents. It comes down to getting a will in place, getting your durable power of attorney. So if you have are in the hospital, somebody else can help you or healthcare directive of somebody can help make your medical decisions when you can't. So it's not as scary as it can seem, but getting it right from the start is important because all that preparation is, I can't state enough how important it is to get it done mm-hmm. at least as soon as possible, or at least get the ball rolling. Okay.
0: And we'll talk in a little bit more detail a little bit later about exactly what each of those documents is. But I think it's important for people to know before we even begin the conversation that, you know, it is just a few simple documents that Mm -hmm. maybe simple is overstating it. But it's three documents (laughs) (laughs) that that are important. And so but what is
1: having an estate plan
0: have to do with divorce?
1: It can affect divorce a lot. It can go into how are your assets divided if those haven't been divided yet. A lot of to not plan your estate, there's a lot of statutes in place. If you haven't shown or written down what your wishes are, those things can go to your spouse. So even if you're in the midst of litigation or haven't filed yet then that involves them that involves your children and mm-hmm. a lot of things if you don't prepare enough or don't pre- or forget to change it and you don't put you just put let's say I'll name him Larry your spouse is Larry mm-hmm. if you just put everything to Larry and don't designate that as your spouse well upon divorce you might be okay um, you'd think well I, I'm not married so that doesn't count but if you just put Larry and didn't put spouse it still goes to him.
0: Oh, okay. You got to make
1: sure your wording is good and yeah, I mean, your home too. Your home is a big part of it.
0: Yeah. And I guess the, the whole point of of it all is that, you know, most of us think we're going to live forever, I guess. And we just don't really think a lot about death unless somebody gets sick, you know, and then we might start thinking about it. But, you know, we, we hear it in the news every day, you know, somebody dies in a car accident or, you know, just some freak thing happens that wasn't expected. And, you know, what happens then? And, you know, I know probate is a uh, four letter word <laughs> that nobody yes. likes to deal with. <laughs> and, and so, you know, the estate plan is all about avoiding probate, right? Yes. Tell us more about what probate is and what that looks like if you don't yes. have an estate plan.
1: Probate is, is scary. And I usually provide kind of a cautionary tale of one of my dear, dear clients that uh, just tragedy struck at a bad time. I was helping her with a protection order from her husband and also helping her with a divorce and getting her will changed. And court process took some time. She had been in the hospital, so she couldn't come to court based on everything that happened. And she was set to close everything else was supposed to be in a night bow on Monday. And she died on Sunday. Mm. So husband got everything and wow. didn't get her divorce finalized and everything. So all of that goes to probate. So with it being in probate, then she has the home that is technically now 100% husband's. Mm -hmm. And if anybody wants to fight that, they would have to show that she'd even drafted a will. It's not as effective as a full will, but Mm -hmm. to show this is what she wanted. And probate's pretty cut and dry a lot of the time. There's no, you have to try to assess their intent Mm post-death. And it's kind of hard to do that without anything written.
0: Right. Now, and in any of her conversations with her, did you guys talk about what her desires were? Like what she would have done differently if she hadn't passed? Would she have children or something that she would have rather that money gone to or the house gone to or something like that? Yes.
1: We were trying to get everything to her daughter instead. Oh, okay. So getting it to the children involved Okay. because the way probate works is if you don't say where you want things to go, there's just statutes that just go down the pegs of who it is. Okay. So it starts with the first person for everything is spouse first. Mm-hmm. If you have no children, that's going to be the main person. If you have children, then it's spouse has a bigger share and then it's the children. Mm-hmm. And if you don't try to remove him from it, then.
0: Yeah. What about like if, say, I don't, I don't know what it was that caused her death, but if it were some kind of an illness that progressed rapidly and she suddenly wasn't able to make decisions for herself, he would have been the person making those decisions, even though they were in the middle of a divorce. Is that?
1: Oftentimes, if yeah. they don't have um, a directive or something written that says somebody else will, mm-hmm. um, thankfully, that was something we were able to do for her was have it be her daughter rather okay. than spouse. Yeah. And but that's a lot of it and that's the presumption that hospitals look at, that courts often look at unless found otherwise.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you know, just there's been for so long, it's been impossible to get, you know, any kind of access to information about somebody when they're in the hospital because of HIPAA that, you know, even, you know, I, I can remember just on the other side of that as a parent, when my son turned 18, you know, he was still wanting me to go pick up his prescriptions or talk to his doctor about his asthma inhaler or whatever. And they, I literally, couldn't anymore you know and, and so that's a minor thing but you know ex- expand that in your mind to the, the you know the op- possibilities of what could happen in a hospital setting where the people that you would want to make decisions for you can't do it and so i think that's really what we're we're talking about here today is just recognizing that sometimes unexpected things happen and, you know, taking that control early so that you avoid those situations if they do come. And on that note, my next question was going to be, you know, if, if, if this is something that is important for someone to do during the divorce process, when should they be taking care
1: of it? Whenever they think it should be changed, if they are in the process of, you know, I haven't filed it, but, and especially I see it with a lot of the domestic violence victims that I work with is if that's something they don't need to know about, that's Mm -hmm. what's helpful with wills and everything like that. It's not like a divorce where they have to be served. They have to know what's going on with a will. You can change it without them knowing. Yeah, Um, And so that's helpful for them a lot of the time to do that prior to filing so that, if you're worried for your safety, if you're worried that he's going to take this and domestic violence, obviously, is predominantly women, but I understand men as well are victims mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. But that's whenever, and you can do it during, you can change it in the middle of it as well. That's okay because it's upon your death. It's not drastically shifting assets. Now, if you can't devise his assets in the sense that his bank account you can't mess with, but the home,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, things like that, that's a little trickier. The home. Usually that's part that one would have to wait to see where that goes. And since that's that one is interesting and always the biggest issue because it's something by the entirety where if it has a right of survivorship. So if spouse and husband own the home together and husband dies, then wife gets a hundred percent interest in the home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's harder to mess with that in the middle of a divorce. So yeah. I say so. at least durable power of attorney you can do ahead of time.
0: Okay. So sounds like the best time to take care of it is whenever you realize. That it needs that it needs to be taken care of whenever it comes to your attention that that, that this opportunity exists. And, and if you're listening today, listeners, that's right now. <laughs> if you're you know, even a year away from a divorce or you don't know for sure if a divorce is going to happen, you can create a will and at least a will uh, and power of attorney. Let's get into some of the specifics now, what documents people should have. I think you've mentioned three will, um, durable power of attorney and healthcare directive.
1: Yeah. Healthcare and those, directive is the main way we talk about. Okay. go ahead, sorry. So,
0: so tell us a little bit about each one of those documents, what it is, what it says, what it does, who needs it. Yeah. Just one at a time. So we'll start with will.
1: Yeah. With the will, that is the core thing that a lot of people think of and know when it comes to estate planning mm-hmm. for that. That is, what am I doing with my assets that aren't like a bank account, for example? So there's probate and non-probate assets. And the will talks about probate ones. And probate is things that don't have an automatic beneficiary. Mm-hmm. So like a bank account or a retirement account, often you say, in the event this person, I want it to be in charge of it or has the ownership of it. Those aren't part of this. This is my personal effects, my jewelry that I got from my grandmother, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the will. And that's important because something I always tell people, if you're trying to have... Somebody not get anything, you can't just say they're not going to get anything. You have to make sure you get rid of everything so that there's nothing for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so some people with greater assets, they can do a trust instead. Mm -hmm. Um, That's people when I think have millions and millions of dollars. And I have yet to run into a person that necessarily needs that over something else. But the will is putting forth your wishes on mm-hmm. how you want. That includes what you want for your funeral. If you want to be cremated, if you want a f- procession, if you want this specific funeral service, this specific burial spot, things like that, you can talk about almost everything with it too. And who's going to who's going to look after your things, yeah. who's going to um, take care of your finances upon death and make sure everything's solved and everything like that. And you
0: have to be I'm sure very careful about who that is. I mean, it's easy to think, you know, in a divorce situation, you know, who you don't want it to be, but (laughs) who who do you want it to be? You know, and is anybody you choose to be that person going to be willing and able to make the decisions that you would want them to make? You know, and that may or may not be a you. You may have multiple children, and you have to choose between your children. I heard recently. It's, it's actually kind of worse to just put both of the kids or all of the kids because that just creates problems for them later. And yet I'm sure it's hard for parents to choose one child over the other, but you are helping everybody if you just put one name. Is that right?
1: Yes, completely. It's important because the a lot of the things that go on with that can be conflicting the different siblings will have different opinions on where they want things to go well i remember mom said this or i think she said that this is how i want things to do and also it's important to choose one that you know will take that appointment because they can say no They can petition and say, I don't want to do it. Mm, And then it can go to the person that you might not want to be it of your children. That's not necessarily to say that they make poor decisions or you disfavor that one. But you know that the one you choose is going to be Mm -hmm. level-headed. Seek out your wishes and do what needs to be done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So you really probably ought to be having a conversation with all of your kids, probably independently, not all in one room together, (laughs) (laughs) but letting everybody know what's happening, you know, and, and and, you know, just so that there's not any surprises when that day comes. Um, And I think it's worth saying it doesn't really matter if you have a lot of wealth or material possessions. I mean, just look around your house, you've got stuff. And if you don't decide what's happening to all the stuff, then somebody else is going to have to do it in the middle of their grief and shock and loss. And so it's a very compassionate thing to do to make these plans in advance. And And it's not terribly expensive, especially when you consider the costs of probate. Um, so it's actually saving you money by doing it now this way, right?
1: Oh, completely. And it's and I always bring up there's things that if if you don't have one, and I know this all sounds like scary cautionary tale, but it's it's important. Is if if the statutes run out of things to give or people to talk to, then it just goes to the state and nobody gets your things. Mm-hmm. And it just okay. Well, the state will just adopt whatever because we don't know how they wanted things to go.
0: Mm-hmm. They just what just give it away or something?
1: Pretty much they. If there's storage lockers, I just give those random examples, things stuffed in storage boxes that you've never Mm -hmm. told anybody how to mess with. And we always help try to make sure that we're as inclusive as possible because trying to itemize everything you own is impractical.
0: Well, and yet, if you're going through a divorce, you're going to be doing that anyway. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) you you might as well start now.
0: (laughs) My my tip for that is just get a clipboard and some paper, and literally spend some time walking from room to room in your house, and just sit down in the room and look around and write everything down. And if you take pictures of it all, that's even better. Open drawers, take pictures. You know, have all of that like inventory because it. Yeah, especially and I, and I often am mentioning this in the scenario where somebody's preparing to leave a marital home to you know begin divorce proceedings and you know it's like once you leave there you know you think you're going to remember what all is there but it's sometimes very hard to so it's important to have a mental image of it all if not actual images and lists of everything so that you can make those decisions because like i said like you said it's it's you want to make those decisions you know you don't want somebody else to have to do that and and so that's the will um, and then um, the durable power of attorney. What Talk about that.
1: Yeah. So that is very important to get done. All of this is important, but this one is one that people need more for their family members. Um, I see. And that's usually when it becomes in the forefront of other people's minds is, That takes effect when somebody loses their capacity. So if they are in a coma, they have a stroke, they are, you see it in some higher wealthy people where they just don't have the time to manage their own assets. But for the most part, it's you have a family member that's incapacitated or they are ill and just don't have that mental ability to work Mm -hmm. on their finances, their estate. So any debts they have going on, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, that's important. And so it helps you manage their affairs while everything's going on. And Mm -hmm. the durable power of attorney has a lot of power. So it's important to one, pick who you have to keep in mind who you want it to be. And if that person can't serve because something happens to them, or they choose not to at some point, Mm -hmm. then who you would want the successor, durable power of attorney would be. Okay, And because that durable power of attorney often can nominate a guardian or conservator over you, which... I know um, Annie and I can talk about later, but that is somebody that would can nominate, let's say just to give people your son is your durable power attorney, you are in the hospital, then your son has the power to choose somebody that's going to manage your affairs long term, Mm -hmm. that is choosing either an organization or another family member to manage your finances Mm and manage you as a person. So they have broad discretion, but you can limit it as much as you want. And there's only there's certain things they can't do. Mm-hmm. So they can't modify your will in just general, so there's a lot of restrictions on that, but also they can only do some things with with your permission. So they can't randomly just start creating trusts out of your stuff or messing with your finances. You can narrow what they can do for you.
0: Okay. So you nominate who's going to do it, who might do it if they don't do it, and you tell them what they can do more yes. or less. Okay. Um, and and then this is a largely financial document, is that right? That's and, and then the healthcare directive is more the health stuff, right?
1: Yeah. So, so whatever work the same,
0: yeah. And so whoever does, whoever you would want to nominate for your power of attorney, uh, what do you call that person? The exec- attorney, in fact. Attorney, in fact, okay. Um, whoever you're going to nominate for that, you would want to be somebody that's good with finances. You wouldn't want to have somebody that. You know, lives paycheck to paycheck, making those decisions for you, right?
1: Completely, and somebody who's just a little bit more analytical in nature, because that also means if you have any pending litigation or you have a they have a debt case, something crazy going on, that person stands in your place Mm -hmm. for a lot of it. Yeah, and they're kind of that person that can get in the foot on because kind of we talked about when you need to know information you're trying to get information on behalf of a family member to know mm-hmm. more and you're just getting red tape this helps you get through that
0: yeah i like how you described it earlier that they'd be level headed that's a good way to put it because this is whenever this goes into play it's going to be an emotional time so it, it is important that to, that they be that When a woman is going through divorce, one of the first questions she usually asks is, can I keep the house? Here's how to know for sure. Five-star house homework with RCSD realtor, Annie Allen. That's me. Title condition, mortgage appraisal, and credit. These are five important tasks that have to be addressed to make a well-informed decision about whether or not to keep the house. And I can't answer that until we look at each of those factors closely. Will your lawyer gather this information? Possibly, but unlikely. Even great lawyers do not address most of these issues because they're not real estate professionals. They're legal professionals. So don't make assumptions. Do your house homework. You don't want to make a decision without all the facts. Let's connect today to discuss your unique situation and find out whether or not it makes sense for you to keep the house before mediation is the best time to have this information. Email me at Annie at StartingOverStronger.com or visit StartingOverStronger.com and click real estate to learn more. And so then the healthcare directive is sort of, I don't know if it's called this, but more or less, it's a power of attorney for specifically for health decisions, right?
1: Right. That's completely correct. It's the person that's going to be in that is going to say yes or no to the healthcare related measures when you can't make those on your own. So it's durable. I kind of distinguish them as... Durable power of attorney of everything else, and then a healthcare durable power of attorney. Okay, um, my family got pretty lucky. My parents and I have talked about this about their will, and that um, I have one sibling who's a doctor, so mm-hmm. I am durable power of attorney. My sister is durable power of attorney for healthcare decisions, so yeah. they got kind of lucky, split, but yeah. my family, she and I would hate to have that role reversed,
0: right? Yeah.
1: And, and that's a good way to look at
0: it. And that's kind of one way I had it explained to me as well Is if you've got, you know, two kids and one does a job or just has skills and abilities that, that are more analytical, financial, left brain, you know, then mm-hmm. that's going to be the person you want that does your power of attorney. And if you have somebody that, you know, is compassionate and kind and empath- empathic. Um, And or a nurse or doctor or somebody in healthcare, that might be who you're going to want to make those decisions for you more so. So that's a good way to divvy those duties up. And so that, you know, hopefully there's not an offense on anyone's part with regard to the division of labor when it comes down to it, you know, but.
1: Now, this is a weird thing with the healthcare directive is I found this wonky statute a few weeks ago, but that apparently under Kansas law, if a pregnant woman is trying to make a durable power attorney, it doesn't have effect. Hmm. I have no idea why, but that's something to keep in mind.
0: <laughs> well, that would be a rabbit hole. So let's not go down in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, You mentioned earlier the words guardians and conservators. What are they and what's important for us to know about them?
1: Yeah, so they... Um, they apply in family law for minors, but kind of here today, I'm talking about it more in the sense of adults. Mm -hmm. So it's similar to the durable power attorney and the living will, uh, but swap. So the conservator is someone that handles your finances when you are incapacitated or have um, either by disability or incapacity, they handle your finances. That, That can be a specific person, a bank, a trust company, however. And then the guardian is the person that watches over you as a person as much as possible, while Mm -hmm. also making sure that you can live your life as freely as possible. So um, I give the example of somebody who has dementia, the guardian is the person that pays attention to your facility and making sure that that's a good facility for you that you're getting proper care, Mm -hmm. and that that is they aren't limiting your ability to kind of live your life. More than necessary, mm-hmm. and the conservator is making sure that the finances to fund you being in that facility works, and making sure that your assets are being drained by something else that they aren't paying attention to.
0: And is the guardian and conservator the, the titles given within the documents we've already discussed, or is that a separate document or paperwork?
1: That's a, that? it's separate. Um, the durable power of attorney does talk about the adoption of a person for it, mm-hmm. um, but with the will, it wouldn't that wouldn't go into play upon um, Death. Okay. So the durable power of attorney allows that to be this person is down, and unable to communicate with us properly about what their needs. I will be the person helping put somebody in place. So they can be court appointed. So if the court sees that this person is incapacitated, the family doesn't have to petition. They can do it on their own. Or what often happens is a family member says, Hey, I we need some greater help here. I can't, I have lots of family members with um, Alzheimer's or dementia. And so a lot of them say, I can't do it on my own. I need somebody else to be in charge of this.
0: And if they have the will, the durable power of attorney, and healthcare directive, what would make them? uh, What is it the way? How do I want to say this? Um, What (laughs) would require them then? if, If is that enough, or what is the need that leads to the additional documentation for guardianship and conservatorship?
1: Usually, with I don't see it too often with parents unless they are. Well, beyond, if either you think that they aren't going to come back from it. So again, I say like a coma or they had a stroke, um, you may not necessarily need that in every situation. But if you know that they need much greater care than you're able to give on a day to day, Mm -hmm. or some people often will use that as kind of the stage hook to take control. Mm -hmm. So if... There's fighting among siblings of who's going to care. I think this is best. No, I think this is best. Some will put, someone will petition for guardianship and just say, no, I'm the person that's in charge of it. I okay. know what's going on. We can, And you can pick a co-guardian, so like one other person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I get that a couple of times where siblings just start fighting over what they think is best for the other person. Mm-hmm. But the nomination of a lot of times you're able to get somebody to nominate so if the fam- mom says if i get sick the durable power of attorney is a point for that so if they say well i name this person my durable power of attorney mm-hmm. that's who the court's going to look to first if somebody starts freaking out
0: but if somebody different comes in and asks for guardianship or conservatorship that's what is that just a, a an appearance before a judge for him to decide whether or not that should happen
1: yes and it's usually a lot higher because the first thing that the courts look at the number one priority is what that the what they call the ward mm-hmm. um, the ward's wishes a nominee mm-hmm. that's who they look to first so somebody okay. who hasn't been listed hasn't been involved the court's going to look at them with a decent amount of scrutiny and wonder what what are you going to do for them then
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay and would the guardian and conservatorship also come into play with a if if in a divorce situation um they have a special needs child that is potentially going to need um care for much beyond the age of 18 is that a place you would see that
1: Yeah, I haven't um, seen it too, too often. I do see it. um, There's a I haven't seen the specific kind of arch between guardianship of a minor to an adult guardianship that Mm -hmm. 18 and then moving it over. Mm -hmm. Um, But that does qualify for that a lot of the time they'll do a guardian of the minor. Yeah, but I don't tend to recommend that just because that that adds more court scrutiny into what your parenting decisions are. Mm -hmm. But if there is one parent who just doesn't pay attention to the needs of the child or there's just great difference between your opinions, Mm -hmm. then that might be helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah well we had an earlier episode uh, where I interviewed uh, Stephen doc Hunsley he uh, uh, is the founder of the soar special needs yes. program and and I know we talked about this so listeners if you are going through a divorce and as you're thinking about um, all these estate planning issues and you have a special needs child that is going to require care beyond the age of 18 I would highly recommend you listen to that episode um, to hit doc's recommendations for uh, guardianship and conservatorship because it is very different in that scenario than it is for the normal the standard family situation so just want to be sure and point that out and then anything else at all on the document the actual documents that are going to be needed during the estate planning process
1: there's a variety that can be there but those are just the core ones that I always implore people to look at and work on
2: mm-hmm. and a
1: lot of it can is tailored to the assets that you have your greater concerns like you mentioned um, I love Doc, by the way. He uh, <laughs> he and I work together on a couple of uh, family law cases that I have. So it okay. he's um, very great. But yeah, I think it. I it's tailored to your needs. If you're noticing, here's this bigger issue. Here's why I have this bigger issue. Then we can help tailor those documents to you. And
0: yeah. And we're yes, going to talk yeah. about some special considerations now. Uh, first of all, that being uh, business ownership, if if one or the other parties in a divorce is self-employed, how does that change the whole picture of the estate planning?
1: Yeah, um, that greatly can mess with a divorce. So that also works um, upon death. So mm-hmm. it's what type of ownership is it? Is it an LLC? Is it limited partnership? Is it a sole proprietorship? Is it limited liability partnership, things like that, which that last one is not very common. I normally run into sole proprietorships or LLCs. Those are pretty much the standard that I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's with those different types come different considerations upon estate planning. So something to think about as a business owner, if that is your business, is who's going to manage it upon your Mm -hmm. death? Who's going to own it? Are those two separate people? Um, Are you going to sell it? And are you going to try to have it run and close out? Or is it going to be automatic sale upon your death? Those are some things to take into consideration because that can change what happens. And kind of, Annie, like you had mentioned with um, taking inventory of your things for your will, that comes into play with the business owners. Yeah. Taking into account um, if there's no specific person that's been appointed to take point upon a business owner's death, Mm -hmm. the core will often place a personal representative in front of the business and they have to do start doing that mm-hmm. which okay. can be quite invasive um sometimes yeah but that person's going to run your business If -hmm. if you don't have somebody listed, that person can run your business for up to six months. Okay. And depending on the type of business and most businesses, six months can be a very long time.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um,
1: And a lot can change during that. So they'll look at your insurance, your audits, what your personnel, because then that affects that. If you have other personnel that works for you, how they're going to get paid. And it can be very intricate if the plan's not properly placed. Right. Um,
0: And what is spousal share or elective share?
1: Yeah, so that one is kind of tricky. So like I had mentioned, the if you're wanting to remove somebody from your will, the best way to do that is to get rid of everything. However, the inverse is that Kansas and Missouri and most states have a spousal elective share. Mm-hmm. That means that even if you try to get them out of your will as much as possible and you're still married, there's a way they can kind of weasel into your will. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have to petition the court for it. So it's not something that automatically occurs. They would have to go to probate court and request that they provide th- be provided this share mm-hmm. and So, not to get too in the weeds, but there's a part of your augmented estate is what takes in that part. So it's not all of your estate; they get a share of it. It's a specific portion. Okay. So it looks at the um, your probate estate, Mm -hmm. your anything you transfer to other people, as well as that spouse. Looks at the spouses with own property and what they've transferred to other people potentially, Um, and then it, it takes into percentage there's a percentage of that that can be taken by a surviving spouse depending on your length of marriage so that ranges from three percent to fifty percent oh wow so it can be and three percent starts at a year so they can even still if you completely get rid of them after a year they can still get three mm-hmm. percent of your state augmented estate.
0: okay Well, that's good to know and something to look into more if this is something that sounds like it would affect you. Um, What's other special considerations come to mind with estate planning? For example, do they need a trust?
1: Yeah. So trusts. there's a lot of different Things that come into mind with it, but trusts are trusts are kind of sticky. And I'd say I I don't tend to recommend a trust unless you hear that you need it. So some of the things to take into consideration are the amount of your assets. If you have great, uh, really a diversified portfolio, you have lots of properties, and that includes people who flip homes. That's a lot of properties that can make it a little bit average rather than just um, having your marital home, your assets, and your retirement. That doesn't necessarily warrant the need for a trust, but mm-hmm anything beyond that, I'd look into it. So there's two main types of trust. There's a revocable and an irrevocable. Revocable Mm -hmm. is pretty common just because, and I recommend those for younger people. So if you're younger, a revocable trust means that you can mess with the assets during your lifetime. Mm -hmm. So you can move them around. You can change who you want it to be. You can, those are still considered your assets. Um, and it helps you in the long term, but There's not really a tax benefit compared to that if it was an irrevocable um, and creditors still can go after it. Mm -hmm. And irrevocable is mostly comes to play when you are trying to get trying to reduce the appearance of your assets. So if you need to qualify for Medicaid or other government programs, an irrevocable might be a good idea to help you qualify Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, those assets are considered yours. So you don't really get to touch it during your lifetime. It's all the person it was given to that's technically their assets.
0: Hmm. So, okay.
1: um,
0: and, uh, one thing I was just thinking of a little bit earlier, we were talking about who needs, um, a will, um, power of attorney and so forth. And the last thing probably anybody thinks of is, an 18 or 19 or 20 year old child of theirs. But um, that actually was brought to my attention not not too long ago that actually um, it is to your benefit to help your adult child to create their estate plan if they have anything at all. That you know that they've saved up. That you know, and and I don't. I wondered what you would think about that, and and any other circumstances that would lead toward the the importance of that, especially with regard to divorce.
1: Yeah, I think it's important for I I say for the most part anybody can benefit from a will because it doesn't all have to go to probate. Mm -hmm. I say most of the time probate anything for litigation of it comes from there being an issue, meaning somebody's Mm going to contest it. There's going to be bigger issues. So there's, um, so I think minors can benefit from it. I don't see necessarily any, I don't see any downfall for them. I think they might not have the grandest one, but I think it sets something for them to do that because just speaking personally, I don't have, I don't have a lot of things right now, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is going and I'm also unmarried. So anything I draft, um, it's going to go to my sister Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because otherwise it goes to my parents. But then if my parents pass, then it's to cousins or whomever, somebody, maybe I don't want it to go. I don't want it to trickle down. I would like it to just stay with my sister.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's something that I think is beneficial. Yeah, um, Something to pay attention to is just what, how many people do you want to give it to Do you plan on having children? Do you have adopted children? That doesn't necessarily change the way that you draft it, but mm-hmm. sometimes the courts can just look at, if you just say all my children, you don't name them specifically. Sometimes mm-hmm. the court can, depending on which judge you get, can look at them a little bit differently. They can, um, if you don't name them, or um, or you don't just state it's any children born or adopted from me, mm-hmm. that is something to take into consideration.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk now about um, the the job of an ex- executor and um, the checklist of duties that they're going to have, and how how it helps someone to prepare for their own estate.
1: The executor has a lot of power and a lot of. Kind of spider-man I think joke is with a great power comes great responsibility <laughs> and so that's also just important when you're choosing who your executor is gonna be yeah so um, if you don't if your trust for that person has broken mm-hmm. or you've seen them make some poor decisions or rash decisions people call me and say yeah I saw that will but I don't I'm not gonna follow that provision you don't want mm-hmm. that person you don't yeah. want that person so that gonna ignore part of it so yeah. this is some of the things that they go through um Right at death is making arrangements for anything immediately. So if you have pets and that means making the funeral arrangements and thereafter, that's filing their taxes. So if they do have a spouse, the executor is the person in charge of it, not necessarily spouse or you have to work with the spouse as the executor. Mm, yeah, that's making their funeral arrangements, including paying for it, seeing if there's an attorney or if you need to get an attorney to take anything to probate if there's an issue. Yeah. And, if you're, and if the person who's deceased has a business, then there's a bigger thing to mess with that is there. But it's also looking through that will, seeing what they want, who it is, contacting those people. Mm-hmm. So a lot of wills will include a trustee. Um, if that person doesn't know that what well, you see in movies and things where there's a formal reading of the will in a big office and the whole family collects yeah, that doesn't really happen. <laughs> doesn't really happen <laughs> anymore. <What>? <laughs> <laughs> Movies aren't real. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a lot of the time it is one or two people looking it over. And at that point, contacting everybody who's been listed. Mm. So a lot of family members are wonder, Hey, if I've been put in the will, uh, you don't really get to tell them that unless they actually are part of the will. Because mm-hmm. um, at that point, that's something the executor might have to break to them. Um, mm-hmm. That's pulling their bank accounts, pulling any safe deposit box that a lot of older people like to have their will, copy of their will, in a safe deposit, just to make mm-hmm. sure nothing's been messed with, it doesn't get destroyed, doesn't get lost. And I encourage yeah. that actually. Yeah. So all that important documentation doesn't get lost because that. Yeah. A lot of people say there is a will. I don't know where to find it. Find yeah, it, that's review a good it. point.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of responsibility. Yes. (laughs) So I could see why somebody would maybe not want it <laughs> right. but it needs to happen right so mm-hmm. well you told a story earlier about a woman who obviously had no intention of dying and and did anyway and uh the importance of the estate plan during divorce with regard to that do you have any other stories good or bad that that kind of emphasize why it is so important to estate plan during your divorce or before
1: yeah i One that I've had happen, which cautionary tale again, was an engaged couple. There was a very bad car accident and they had a child together, but they were not officially married. And for a lot of things that fiance couldn't go see them, couldn't get the necessary information because they're not listed as family or they don't Mm. necessarily have the power. So even if there's a, let's say the person is moderately younger and there, the person in the hospital has relatives, has parents still alive, Mm -hmm. their word goes over the fiance Mm -hmm. because the healthcare people don't know otherwise. Right. And if, but if there's tension between family members that nobody else knows about, that's a difficult situation. So for them, it was hard because that person did eventually pass and the spouse slash mother of the child doesn't, they- fiance does not have any rights to anything because the will wasn't prepared, thankfully with intestate, the child Mm. should be getting something. But if that parent had had surviving parents, which he did, a lot of it goes to them first. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It goes to them and then the children. So yeah.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of power in talking about stories because so often the reason we don't deal with all of these things is because we just don't think it's ever going to happen to us. You know, we're just busy living our lives and we don't. You know, it we can you can't expect the unexpected, it just happens. And so if if I had to say that there was one major thing that I would sum all of this up with, it is that when you go through a divorce, a lot of times, you know, you're kind of stuck in the story of it all, of of the loss of that relationship. But if divorce is is, is that, and we're not discounting that, but it is also you. Taking the reins of your financial future. You don't have a choice anymore. You know, if you're going through a divorce, you have to take the reins of your financial future. And what better way to do that than to start with an estate plan, even before you file for divorce or during the divorce, if it's already been filed? And just you know, really take the time, uh, spend the money, and get it all down on paper. I can only imagine because I haven't done it, <laughs> as you and I discussed. I, I literally have papers <laughs> sitting on my desk that have been sitting here for three years. They got buried for a long time. In my defense, <laughs> but I, I unearthed them recently, and I'm like, oh look at this! I have a will and a power of attorney. It's not executed <laughs> and nobody would have been able to find if I died. <laughs> um, so I totally get how that happens, but um, I, it is now on the top of my desk and you and I will be making an appointment soon to mm-hmm. make sure that it gets executed and then stored properly. So that is my you know my summation of everything we've talked about today is just that you have you have to take the reins and this is a very very wise way to do it so i encourage everyone to do that what final thoughts do you have on this
1: it's so much more empowering than daunting um, so many of my clients i bring it up in the middle of litigation or if they're thinking about filing and bring that to their attention and it's something that is That is so empowering that you don't even need to tell anybody about in a weird way. It's nice. You get to take control of your things, but it's not something you don't have to fight about. Mm -hmm. You get to have your victory of this is my thing. This is what I'm going to do with it. Mm -hmm. And nobody else has to know about it except the two witnesses and the notary. (laughs) Yeah. And there's nothing anybody else can do about it. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's you're right. That's very empowering. And in fact, that that is the feeling that I had when I filled out all those papers three years ago, (laughs) I thought this is really kind of cool. to just get it all together. You know, like when in your life do you really feel like you have it all together? You know, and and so I agree that that it is, uh, it is scary, and it is it can be daunting, it can feel overwhelming because you know we don't have enough time most days to go to the gym and do the things that we need and want to do, but but we make the time here because of how good it's going to feel on the other side, and because we love our kids and other descendants, and we don't want them to have to make all these hard decisions for us when they're grieving our loss. So that is why we're talking about this today, and I think it's an incredibly important topic that probably isn't talked about near enough with regard to divorce. So thank you for bringing the subject to my attention and and being here with me today to dissect it a little bit. And if people want to get a hold of you, if they're in Kansas and Missouri and they want to reach out to you for an estate plan or a divorce, tell them how they can get a hold of you.
1: Yeah. So, one of the best ways to get a hold of me is at my firm's website, which is HRRlawyers.com. And okay. you can also contact us um, at our phone number, which is 816. 816- 605-1734. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you again. I'm glad to have you here and to have this
0: out to people who I know need it so much. We are here every Wednesday talking about things that matter to you during, and before, during, and after your divorce. And we'll see you again next week for more help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger.